up, everyone? This is Must Go Faster, a pop culture podcast for the people. I'm your co-host, Ben Brandlinger, broadcasting from Brooklyn. And I'm Robert Denfeld, uh, heavily caffeinated out in Long Beach, California. So in this episode, we're going to ponder a new Kanye West rumor, dive into the new movie Logan. Rob's going to give his two cents on Kong Skull Island, and we'll also discuss the state of movie releases. But first, we want to recommend Chanel, the new song from Frank Ocean. I got pretty like a girl, and he got five stories to tell. I see both sides like Chanel, see on both sides like Chanel. Swimming laps through pool water, eating like I'm underworld. Had my tattoos in Shibuya, police think I'm of the underworld. So what you just heard was Chanel by Frank Ocean, and uh, Frank premiered this track himself about a week ago on his Beats 1 radio show, and it's not an exclusive. Uh, It was initially available on his radio show, as I mentioned, but it's now available on streaming platforms everywhere, so it was refreshing to see it on places like Spotify within hours of him releasing it Mm because he's been known to do the apple exclusives right which uh i don't think we're we're huge fans of but (laughs) yeah this song chanel just has a really classic sound to it uh a mix of the piano the soft percussion and frank's vocals just give it i i don't know i just think of like classic timeless sound when i hear it and the chord progression uh, of the piano sounds slightly jazzy to me but it's still very melodic and Uh kind of uh you know but pop based in a way and yeah, you know it's i like think a the funky s- piano track right but very kind of like somber and it's mm-hmm. not r&b but it's a mid-tempo i mean for frank ocean songs it's pretty upbeat as far as his, right. his type of you know style goes but uh i mean the star of any frank ocean track is the vocals and in this one you know he really seamlessly weaves back and forth from rapping to singing uh, a lot of the song is sung in his in like the lower register but then towards the end of the song he soars up an octave higher and he really crams in a bunch of different melodies and the rap flow i think is is really impressive i think it's his best rapping that i've heard from him yeah. and uh lyrically i think it's very specific but also very sporadic as well uh, my roommate mentioned that it's so- it sounds kind of very frantic lyrically mm-hmm. like you don't know exactly what kind of subject he wants to stick to and it's a bit stream of, stream of conscious but that's mm-hmm. how frank's a lot of his lyrical style is is very stream of conscious so i don't think it's a departure from what he usually does consciousness but, uh, you know i was in uh i was in las vegas last weekend and for whatever reason this song you know i i listened to it on the, my flight over uh-huh. and frank's voice just kept like following me as i was like walking <laughs> the strip and in casinos there was something about like the Vegas imagery and like its decadence that really made me think of his music and style, like the tone of his vocals, as Uh I said earlier, had this timeless quality to it. So it made me want to like go back to the, you know, hotel and listen to this song and pregame to it again. So, um, yeah, I'm I'm really digging this, this track Chanel. It reminds me of, of kind of like the nighttime Rob, what did you think? Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, I mean, you know, it's like Frank Ocean. It's kind of chill R and B mixed with rap, you know, funk, uh, it's really hard to classify what Frank Ocean is, but yeah, this has a you know the classic Frank Ocean chill, slow vibey, uh, you know, catchy chorus, and it's good for driving, I would say, and good for you know in your headphones in a public space, like you said, on an airplane or whatever. Um, <laughs> Isolated headphones where you don't want to hear anyone talk. Yeah, <laughs> and it definitely uh, is you know haunting and hangs with you, um, and. But yeah, like you said, you can also listen to it pre-gaming and it, it has like a, a catchy vibe to it. And it definitely is a song that I feel will be like a, you know, song of early summer and get a lot of radio play. And uh, it has a lot of a lot of range to, you know, what it is, I guess. Um, yeah, yeah. 
I would say it would be, you know, comparing it to his latest album, Blonde, I think this would have been the third best song on Blonde, which I'm a huge fan of the first half of Blonde, but I think the second half is kind of just aimless nonsense in a way right. but i think like after nikes and solo this would have been the best track on on blonde uh-huh yeah and you said the the lyrics are kind of all over the place and they're kind of confusing yeah, yeah. um i listened to it or i watched a youtube video that had the lyrics going you know next to the next to the the audio and it kind of added to it so i recommend you watch it with the lyrics going it kind of lyric video you know yeah it yeah. gives you a little uh context and you're able to catch everything that he says and so there's also a version that just came out with uh, featuring ASAP Rocky, um, you know, the rapper. Uh, and it's interesting because you said this is maybe Frank's best rap performance or one of his mm-hmm. best. And and ASAP actually does more of like a soft sort of uh, R&B, Frank Ocean sort of verse. It's not it's not hardcore, you know, right. ASAP yeah, classic yeah. rap. So it was kind <laughs> of interesting. They're, they're like playing backwards on each other. Um, so th- yeah, mm-hmm. the featured version uh, is is pretty good too. Cool, yeah, and you know I'll be curious to see if you know Frank Ocean randomly drops any of their songs this year. I mean, he's already mm-hmm. jumped on that track with Calvin Harris called "Slide," which is more of like a radio pop hit. But you know, Frank has always been super calculated about his music releases. Like he likes to be in total control. So it'll be interesting to see if he starts dropping more like random songs, kind of his breadcrumbs throughout the year. And this is kind of the beginning of kind of a new way of him releasing material, or if this is just uh-huh. a one-off. So you know, we'll see from there. Well, that's a great transition into uh, our next topic <laughs> quickly. Uh, so yeah. this rumor, speaking of controlling your message and controlling the release of your work and everything. Um, so on Wednesday, Kanye West. Well, we're not sure. This is uh, this is a rumor. We're gonna <laughs> it's neither confirm nor denied. Here. Yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're pure, this is pure gossip right here. But uh, we wanted right. to uh, point it out. <laughs> but it, it could be something something big. We're we're not sure yet. Um, so on Wednesday, this past Wednesday. Um, a an MTV exec or actually an MTV news writer received a box, a sort of unmarked brown <laughs> box um, that had this this woman named Hillary Hughes, uh, and it had inside some interesting stuff, and it was just uh, sort of randomly came to her. Inside was a VHS tape that had E pluribus unum written on it, um, a white credit card mm. that had Kanye West as the name. This number seven seven two two three three six eight eight as the as the credit card number I guess and then it said Project Ten and the date was March twentieth and then it also had NASA written on it and so the <laughs> for good measure just throw a NASA you know why not <laughs> <laughs> right so the VHS tape had uh, E pluribus unum which means out of many one in Latin uh, and on the tape was two hours of static. And an old logo of NASA's Jet Propulsion Lab, and then a small pebble. Uh, so that's all that was on it for two hours. So then, you know, fans got, or she released an article, you know, Hillary Hughes wrote an article like, what is this? Like, who sent this to me? Right. It's, sho- it's shocking that she just didn't keep this to herself and didn't say anything about it. Yeah. Of course, you get a, you get a uh, package that mysterious. I would release with it also. Kanye's yeah. attached to it. Right. I mean, or, you're, you know, you're selling this to like, you know, some public. I guess she already worked for MTV. Uh-huh. But yeah, this is stuff that you want to get out there. Well, yeah, but quickly, like fans, uh, you know, typed in 772233688.com. And it's actually a website, and yeah. on it is Kanye West, NASA, Project 10, 
March 20th. And that's, that's all. And then there's this blue, blue and brown box, uh, and there's a video, but the video is about two minutes of static and that's it. And some fuzz sound. And so, yeah, um, what the hell is it? Uh, you know, somebody created this website. <laughs> um, uh, Def Jam has come out. People have been writing to Def, Def Jam, trying to call and figure out, you know, did Kanye send this to you? Did or send this to us? Did uh, did you guys send it to us? And they're calling it, you know, an elaborate hoax and some they're denying it. Quite any, elaborate. Yeah, this is a hoax. I mean, props to whoever pulled it off because, like, you know, getting the website component, the packaging, I mean, right. this is pretty... Well, and then even beyond that, there apparently there's a poster. There was a poster found in an in Atlanta subway train car, uh, <laughs> and it just had it just had the number. I'll say it one more time for people, 77223368.com, and it just had that and Kanye West on it and, like, a picture of black and white mountains or something and so that was in a subway train car in atlanta and then the box that was sent to mtv had an atlanta return address so and then you know they called they called nasa they (laughs) they called the propulsion lab and they have no involvement or uh, they denied any involvement in this so yeah i don't know it's hard on march 20th um, (laughs) yeah you know we could be scooping you know uh, people here, or this could turn out to be nothing. I mean, with Kanye, it's so hard to predict. I mean, on f- my my first impression is, you know, the fact that they o- this was only sent to one reporter for MTV. I mean, if it would have been one thing if this package was sent to like twenty five of the biggest music critics in the country, uh-huh. just like to single off a writer from MTV. I don't know. That's kind of like my first impression that this may just be a hoax. But yeah, I mean, even if it is like. It's super elaborate and clever, and I mean, Kanye, you know, he loves to throw curveballs and be ambiguous in his releases, and, you know, he's rumored to kind of always be working on his next album, Right. so who knows? I mean, I know I I sent you a text earlier saying it could maybe be him, you know, his interest in fashion, it could be designing, like, a NASA suit or something, (laughs) or, like, is Kanye going to space? I don't know. I mean, this is... uh, so it'll be interesting. I mean, I think, you know, we'll see what happens on the 20th, but uh, who, who who the He's hell like, knows? Does I my know. voice sound better in space? <laughs> right, right. He's going to record the first album from space. Right. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. I mean, you know, he's, say what you about Kanye, but he, he pushes the envelope, and uh, if this is something real, I mean, this would definitely be in line with the types of things he likes to do. So, so yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, for, for for our audience, you know, check out the website, see what you think for yourself, and stay tuned for March 20th, you know, which is, what, Monday? Right, we're recording this on a Friday, so we'll have it up before Monday, and yeah, if it turns out to be nothing, we didn't tell you what it was going to be. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to move on to review Logan, which is the new and final movie starring Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Who's this? Just a guy telling you to get back in your nice truck. Go play Okie Dickhead somewhere else. Hey, Carl. It looks like Mr. Monson hires some muscle. Looks that way. He's a friend of mine. Friend with a big mouth. I hear that a lot. 
So that was a clip from Logan, and this was directed by James Mangold, who did 310 to Yuma, which I know, Rob, we saw in college, and uh-huh. I always thought was a very underrated Western. Yeah. Uh, he also did Walk the Line, uh, The First Wolverine, uh, and his career started with Girl Interrupted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this movie came out a few weeks ago, and we were thinking, you know, most people have seen it by now, or most people that have an interest in it, I'm sure, have seen it because it got such great reviews and buzz. So we've decided to do a full-on spoiler review of it. Um, if you haven't seen Logan and don't want to be spoiled, you can feel free to skip ahead uh, to the next topic. We'll have the timestamp indicated in the ep- episode description like we do for all episodes. But uh, so here's your warning. Don't get mad at us. You know, if you continue to listen, you don't want to be spoiled. So. So, yeah, Rob, um, you know, to be honest, like I'm not a huge X-Men or Wolverine fan. And uh-huh. when I saw that this movie was almost two and a half hours, I kind of rolled my eyes and was kind of right. frustrated by that length going into it. of Like, oh, is this going to drag for another, you know, 30 minutes? It's going to be I heard it was like very dark and serious. Like, mm-hmm. is it too dark? But the reviews came out and I was preparing myself for this to be. Uh, to be overhyped, you know, I, I saw this the other day. I know you saw it right when it came out. And, you know, I was just thinking, like, I was ready to put the overrated stamp on it. But uh-huh. coming out of the theater, I got to say, this is not overhyped. This is properly rated. It may even be under. I mean, I thought this was an excellent, not just comic book movie, but like human dra- action drama in general. And it's so different than all other comic book movies in so uh-huh. many ways. You know, there's no capes or costumes. And I think the first indication I had that this was going to be some, like kind of a unique experience was right in the opening credits. I don't know if you noticed. So, you know, uh, Logan's getting his car jacked by, uh, you know, a couple of burglars. He steps outside, gets in the fight with them, and he gets uh, he first gets shot by one of them and falls to the ground. And when he gets shot and he's like on the ground struggling is when they flash the Logan title screen, mm. which I thought was like a really nice touch and kind of like symbolic for the movie of like he's kind of got throughout the entire film like his back against the wall. Right. And they show like when they show Logan on screen is when he's like on the ground, shot at, not in the costume, like not what you think of when you think like superhero yeah so i thought that was like a really interesting touch that kind of like tipped me off of like oh this is going to be pretty unique um you know what were your first impressions like walking out the theater yeah so it's definitely darker um it's (laughs) and you know and like you said it's it's probably a lot of people are saying it's one of the best comic book movies of this era you know the, Mm -hmm. the we are in the comic book movie era currently you know it's the new western a lot of people are saying um Mm -hmm. so uh yeah it's definitely a darker take on the entire universe uh the marvel universe um it's a little more of a self-contained story uh they're yeah very self-contained yeah they're not really like placating to all of these future uh or past universes within the marvel universe Uh, god that's a terrible sentence um i just you can say that again if you want and we can so, set it up <laughs> no no uh just so many so many universes and you know can't keep track of them <laughs> right. um but this one really uh stands alone and uh well so apparently it's um it's based on this this comic book iteration of wolverine called old man logan which is a, a comic book thread uh within you know within the universe of marvel uh, that's sort of this dystopian version of the X-Men uh, world where all the heroes apparently have been uh, killed off for the most part. And apparently in the comic books, uh, it's Logan who who was tricked in a way by somebody, I don't know all the details, to 
to kill all the other heroes or all the other mutants. So, um, but in this, in the movie, we kind of find out that it was, we don't know uh, exactly how it happened, but uh, Patrick Stewart's character of uh, Charles Xavier um, is now being classified as like a, a weapon of mass destruction. Like his brain is a weapon. And yeah. so we don't find out exactly what happened in the past, but apparently he did something to establish uh, himself as a threat and to, you know, to all mutants and to the world at large. Um, but so in the movie, he's sort of being hidden by, by Logan. Um, and that's, I liked how the movie Are you just... referring to, um, I wanted to chime in because of that note you just made. Uh-huh. Uh, I think, are you referring to is something called like the Westchester incident? Right. I think, um, cause I, I was reading, so this was actually, uh, one of the trivia bits from IMDb that I wanted to point out. I guess I'll just, uh, button quickly and tell you this cause it's related to, to the point you made. Sure. So originally in the script, that inc- incident was going to be shown and it would have had professor X having a seizure at the X-Men mansion oh. and would have shown the deaths of all X-Men right. like one by one. And so the director decided to cut the scene out of the script due to the fact that he felt it drew too much attention away from the main story Cool. and would have liked that to be kind of vague and mysterious. Um, you know, that definitely would have been a very emotionally powerful and gruesome, you know, an already very gruesome movie would yeah. have made it even more gruesome. And I, I like, I think I like the decision. Like it would have been, if they had that scene, that probably would have been the scene that people talked about most, just showing all of these mm-hmm. like beloved characters that are so familiar, just like dying one by one. Uh-huh. But uh, it's pretty, um, I don't know, just kind of fascinating to like envision how that scene would have been done. Uh, you know, just in your head and stuff. So, well, I didn't know I just that. The, to point that out. Yeah, I didn't know the scene was supposed to be in the movie. That's interesting, and yeah, I'm glad that it wasn't either because, like you said, it would have it would have drawn away from this smaller, more contained storyline that that Logan was. Um, and I really appreciated appreciated it for that. Like most comic book movies, you know, are just pushing pushing something and it ends with adding like, so many characters and yeah, villains. And, it ends and, with know, like a cheesy introduction yeah, to a new and character. And no post-credit scene. Yeah, I like that there was no post-credit scene here. There's uh-huh. no it that ends very defiantly, like like, you know, definitively. Well, yeah, it, this is it. You know, like there's no there's no other It actually felt like um, a movie. You know, it it felt like a a, a beginning, yeah, middle, like end standalone three act story you know which is the the right you just which you don't really see in the comic book world too much you know um and yeah i think uh you know a big thing that stood out to this movie the violence obviously Mm -hmm. i mean um is pretty insane i mean i i don't it's hard to say if it was too violent um you know i think this is by far the most violent comic book movie ever made and i mean there's just a lot of ruthless scenes i mean one that comes into mind is that that innocent family that like takes uh, Logan and Laura and oh, Professor yeah. X in to like feed them dinner uh-huh. and they're all having a great time. Professor X says like, you know, right before the the scene when they're they're all slaughtered, like this is one of the happiest days of my life, <laughs> you know. And then that was good. Two scenes later, he's being destroyed by a, a clone of Logan, right? Uh, in brutal fashion. The parents die, the kids, you know, that was kind of a, even, I knew it was going to R-rated, I knew it was going to be very violent. Even that kind of took me by surprise of like, oh, damn, they're not pulling any punches here. Right. Well, and you say it's the most violent comic book movie ever made. It's not that it's, it showed the most deaths. It's the way that it showed the death. It actually showed the impact of the the violence. Yeah. The, you know, Logan's claws were actually 
super sharp and you felt the struggle <laughs> he had with them attached to him, his body, you know, like he was, yeah. he was sort of reluctant to pull re- them out of to his pull hands. Them out. Yeah. Well, yeah, he was trying to pull them out in one scene. Yeah. I thought that but was, he was reluctant. Scene. It seemed to even use them. Cause it's like, yeah. Another interesting point about this movie was like, you feel like his powers are like a nuisance to him. He's right. Like just like, uh, like I got to do this again. Like this is, physically and emotionally taking such a toll on me i've been doing this forever and yeah that yeah. scene you mentioned where he's pulling them out you get the sense he's like he wish he could just rid himself of these powers and whatnot and well, i thought that was new territory for comic book movie definitely and it's not even that he uh you know didn't want to use them like he didn't want to do it anymore he was just sad about you could he was really you could feel the weight of this man's life on him you know he was really carrying the sadness and depression of uh you know he was an alcoholic more than the other movies in this in this one uh (laughs) oh yeah you know really trying to cope i like this when he grabs the cigars yeah at the very end uh or not at the very end at that scene where uh laura tries to like steal uh you know some snacks from uh, uh, the gas station <laughs> yeah and he like and at the very last he like grabs like five cigars he's like right hey, you know like there's a little was, like, cheer a nice in my up. crowd during that that moment that was, oh really that was yeah, yeah yeah so, uh yeah and now. you mentioned uh, you mentioned laura um who yeah. is played by daphne keen this young young actress yeah i never heard is this her first movie i think this might be like one of her it's gotta be yeah, I think it's her movies. second her movie. Role. Yeah, she was in something yeah, yeah. else. I can't recall off the top of my head, but um, she was she really brought the movie together for me. I think yeah, it, it could have gone in a direction where like, man, this is just too dark. But she she sort of lightened it up a little bit. She was funny at times, uh, really interesting to watch, and she brought a new element to the the Wolverine character because she was also you know has the adamantium yeah. uh in her bones you know and had this the same powers as yeah same powers. as logan um yeah and... i think uh go ahead i, I was gonna say and, and also uh a crazy thing about her performance is that she doesn't speak for the first like hour and a half of the movie yeah so er- her entire performance is conveyed by just like you know physical facial expression expressions and action stunts but you still like even without her speaking any lines you you definitely have this like sympathy for her and that's just like a testament to like really good acting mm-hmm. you know you she didn't have a script to work you know she had literally no lines of dialogue until like an hour and a half in and when she does finally speak it's in spanish uh-huh. so like again that was like another kind of just surprising uh unique moment of the film like you know just kind of took you by surprise like when she starts shouting at logan in spanish in the car i just thought it was, it was funny and it's just a really hard performance to pull off when you don't have especially like as a kid man i mean like she's what like 12 years old and you like the maturity to like pull that off i mean you know it was i was really impressed by her performance yeah and i thought it actually added a lot to the character of logan just he's always been in the x-men universe and and all the movies um he's always been full of heart and and maybe the most sympathetic character for the audience um he he always sort of has had this sense of what is happening he's sort of like an outsider looking in you know he was sort of hesitant to even join the X-Men world in the first X-Men in 2000, you know, he's brought to the school and he, he doesn't really buy it at first, you know, so uh, he's always had this outsider's perspective and a lot of, brought a lot of heart to all the movies, but in this one, especially with the, you know, the connection to Laura um, and sort of this fatherly uh, 
aspect that he takes on at the end of the uh, movie. I just thought it was different and had more heart than the other X-Men movies that I've seen. Uh, real quick, so I want to I want to dive in a little bit to the backstory of of Hugh Jackman as the Wolverine because oh, it's yeah. really he's interesting. Been, been playing this part for like 15 years, you know, he's been, uh, been actually 17. Yeah. 17. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's so this is the ninth movie, uh, of Hugh Jackman playing <laughs> Wolverine <laughs> slash Logan, that's, that's um, crazy. in, in all the iterations of the X-Men universe, as I mentioned, uh, the first movie X-Men came out in 2000. So that's in now 2017. This is the ninth movie. Uh, so this is really the entire, span of the comic book universe and, yeah because i was right around when spider-man i think i think right. spider-man was in 2002 or 2001 early 2000s yeah yeah and that was like so even before that it. yeah yeah well what's really interesting is so hugh jackman uh initially what is it called um he auditioned sorry <laughs> I, I kept wanting to say rehearsed he wanted he, the he aud- <laughs> yeah he auditioned for the role of wolverine in in 1998 and he didn't get the role. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, the this guy, uh, the actor, the Scottish actor Dougray Scott or Dougray Scott, uh, got the role initially. And what happened was he was playing the bad guy in Mission Impossible Two. And the the so if you know who he is, Dougray Scott, uh, look him up. Uh, he initially was going to be Wolverine in the original X Men. Um, so the filming on Mission Impossible 2 went long, so they needed a new Wolverine. Uh, Jackman was second in line, I guess, so the director uh, called him and said, you know, are you still willing to do this? And apparently Jackman was sort of over it. Like, he was a little hesitant to even take the role because at the time, uh, the, this is a, an amazing fact, the only comic book movie or superhero release of 1999 was Mystery Men starring starring Ben Stiller. So that that literally the uh, only one. Mystery Men is underrated <laughs> sidebar. Um but no. But yeah, yeah so ahead. that just shows you where Yeah, just to show you how different the climate was yeah. back then of blockbusters and super I mean it just was non-existent. Exactly. That's that baffled my um, mind. So like literally the entire uh comic book movie era has spanned across Hugh Jackman playing Wolverine. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's a you good know, point. like I think. Um, well, so and let me just finish up this th- thought real quick. He wanted to work. The the reason he took the movie, he says, is, I mean, well, you know, it was a good opportunity, obviously, but he wanted to work with Ian McKellen, who played Magneto, and Patrick Stewart, who mm-hmm. still to this uh, up until this movie plays uh, Charles Xavier, and it opened at fifty four and a half million, the original X Men, in uh, July two thousand. So it it had a really strong release and a lot of you know, critical acclaim and word of mouth and stuff. So, and obviously it was the right decision for his career. Uh, he was 31 at the time. Now he's 48, still playing the same character. Now he's 79. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It looks like, it. <laughs> um, it's aged him. Yeah. I think, uh, yeah, you know, I could actually see him getting a best actor nomination for this. Yeah. And I think, you, you know, besides it being an, a really just strong dramatic performance, the Academy loves to reward, uh, you know, actors, directors, people in filmmaking. That's it's kind of like their swan song, like after they've gone through the ringer of multiple releases. And the fact that this is his ninth movie and kind of his final one in this franchise that kind of symbolizes the end of an era in a way. And like you mm-hmm. said, it started back in 2000. I could see the Academy 
that kind of just like heightening the Academy's perception of this performance. Yeah, and uh-huh. I don't. I mean, it would be a long time. I, I think he has very little chance of winning, but I could see, I could see him getting that Best Picture nomination. Um, so I mean, we'll see in a you know eleven months from now. I would love but, to uh, see that, and it's it's not. Yeah. you know, it wouldn't be undeserved. Like I mean, he really brings so much to this character, and so much. You know, his entire adult life, almost you know, from his thirties and forties, has been spent. You know, he's had to maintain this body type and, you know, not he probably hasn't had a slice of bread in like 15 years or something. (laughs) Just, you know, no carbs allowed. But, uh, you know, I I would be I would love to see him honored and and not that it's, uh, you know, like sort of a lifetime achievement nomination. But uh, I think he's he's really deserving of, of some some credit for this this performance. And have you seen there's a uh, the YouTube clip? Oh, yeah, of him dubbing his lines. And the, yeah, that, yeah, that was I was, that's point. exactly yeah, yeah. what I was about it's to amazing. say. People should watch that. There's this clip of Hugh Jackman basically dubbing his lines in, in the final scene where he's running through the forest. And you, you just, the camera's on him, and you're able to see just kind of like the mental and physical state he gets in for this. It's like, it's terrifying, but it's awesome to see that commitment. So yeah, that's on YouTube. You guys should check it out. Definitely. And so yeah, this movie has already made 435.8 million in the global box office and before that the other eight uh movies with Wolverine had made 3.6 billion total globally mm-hmm. so that brings the total for nine movies to over 4 billion globally so that Cha-ching. I mean that just shows you like this is I mean this is huge business and uh Hugh Jackman made a good decision to take this uh take this character on yeah also thinking of that scene where, again, w- that we mentioned where he uh, dubs his lines, where he's running through the forest, uh-huh. that tracking shot of when he goes into like attack mode in the final battle and it ends with him like flying 10 feet forward and just like pinning some dude in like in a tree. Do you uh-huh. know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. That was, uh, I just want to say that was a really badass just scene. Just brutal. I, <laughs> yeah. I may have like fist pumped uh, on, the, on the inside and yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think there were a couple of scenes, just kind of going back to the movie itself. Um, I think the scene at the casino with uh, X having the seizure, uh-huh. I think I actually read another IMDb tidbit, is that they created that realistic sense of struggle that Logan experiences as he's trying to force his way into the hotel room. It was done by tying two ropes to Hugh Jackman and then like physically pulling him in the opposite direction wow. as he walked down the hallway. So it was essentially like a tug of took a war so wow. it was really good acting but they also like did physical things to make sure he behaved that way huh. um so i thought that was interesting i think the car chase sequence at the water tower and kind of the first act was was really well uh-huh. done that ended with them escaping like by getting across the train tracks and whatnot and i thought the um the cell phone footage to kind of tell the backstory of what was happening with Laura and the rest of the kids at that hospital, I thought was like a really effective, like modern way right. to like, rather than just like doing flashbacks, uh-huh. like, um, you know, the woman that filmed the footage on her cell phone and, and things like that. I thought, yeah, I thought that was effective. And then uh, one other scene that stood out to me is, yeah, the, the scene where you, you first see the other Logan mm. uh, who proceeds to kill uh, that innocent right. family and uh, Professor X. Uh, and the way that battle was shot, I remember when when Logan finally confronts him, just like there were a couple of really cool, uh, cool shots there with the claws and just the brutality of like it almost made you, you know, when you like see, you know, violence on the screen, you almost feel like you can 
almost feel yourself getting cut. You know, it's totally. kind of like, ooh, that had to hurt, you know? So yeah. the movie is filled with moments like it's that. It's so gritty, and you, you finally feel the weight of, of all the violence, like we've said. And, uh, and I think what really helped this movie also is it's one of the first comic book movies to really just focus on one superhero. You know, Charles Charles Xavier, Professor X was in the movie, but he's not really a superhero at this point in the story. And Daphne Keene played Laura, uh, is, I guess, a superhero, um, but we don't really know much about her. But really, it's this movie focuses on Logan. It's all about his story. Yeah. Well, especially lately, there's been, there's so many like Avenger type movies right. or Hollywood's become obsessed with like combining universes. Yeah, so. and it's so convoluted. Yeah, it felt like it had been a while since we saw like a, just sing, you know, about one singular superhero. Yeah. I feel like it's been a while. And by the end, you know, yeah, New York City is being blown up by aliens and you're like, what am I watching? Like, I don't even remember how we got to this point. <laughs> right. And, this was so much more grounded. Yeah. 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 No, that's, there was no, yeah, no destruction of uh, New York City or LA, which is refreshing. <laughs> and I just also think the, um, the idea of like incorporating so many kids in this movie and especially right. in the final battle, like having them just go to town and engage in all this uh, violence, like was like pretty, it was a pretty crazy like juxtaposition. I feel like, you know, just seeing like, kids deploy r-rated violence on like adults in a superhero movie it was just kind of like wow i've never really seen this done in this type of film before right um so i thought that was really interesting i think you mentioned earlier the di- like kind of the family dynamic between logan laura and professor x um even though they aren't technically fan you know was something that was you know very real and and you know symbolic uh-huh. and uh, i liked how they used um the comic books throughout the X-Men comic books oh, that kind of yeah. like drove Laura. And I actually read that those weren't actual pages from real comic movies. They were, uh, it was artwork specifically made for this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, man, I, I think, uh, you know, this is a good movie. I, I saw this movie by myself actually, um, cool. which is something I don't do too often, but I really kind of enjoy the experience. And I think this type of tone of a movie is, it's, it's a good one to see by yourself. Like, I would never see, like, a some blockbuster comedy by myself. That would be right. sad and depressing. <laughs> um, but this type of one, I, I think, is good to see by yourself. But I wanted to ask you, what would you give, on a scale 1 to 10, because you know me, I love to rate things. Right. What would you say, 1 being, like, the worst movie you've ever seen, 10 being a flawless masterpiece, Godfather level, what would you put this at? And you can use decimals. <laughs> I have one in mind. I wanted to throw it to you and see sure. what, what first came to mind for you. Um, well, I'd probably put it at an 8.5 because, um, (laughs) as you know, I'm not a huge comic book movie person. I, I, I appreciate a good one and I, you know, sort of begrudgingly still see a lot of them and, and always seem to be disappointed. But this one, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd put it at a nine because that's getting into the realm of like greatness uh but this is a very very good movie uh really enjoyable fun watch uh so i'll stick with 8.5 what about you i had 8.6 oh my god (laughs) we have we have we have similar tastes i swear i had 8.6 that's awesome i had 8.7 initially and knocked it down a peg so uh yeah you know we you know it's kind of one of the reasons why we started a podcast we have similar tastes but yeah but you know can uh can can differ but this is a case where we did not differ and um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, kind of just to round things off, I think uh, 
this totally opens up the door for uh, new R-rated comic book movies and adaptations to be made. I think it would be really cool. Um, you know, I'm a big Batman fan, and I read um, several graphic novels in the past few years, and mm-hmm. those are extremely dark. And if they were able to do an R-rated Batman, I think that could be really, really good and, and yeah. interesting. Um, and, and I think I saw it also. That, uh, uh, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, I, I read that James Mangold uh, has said that Hugh Jackman took a salary cut to do this movie uh-huh. once he found out it was rated R. Uh-huh. So this pay cut and kind of the success of Deadpool last year uh-huh. was what convinced the producer to do the uh, like an R-rated version, which, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine this movie being PG-13. It would have, oh, like, man. it really uses, um, you know, and one other point uh, I wanted to make. It wouldn't have uh, had the same impact. Yeah, and like I thought this was really interesting the director said about why he wanted to make it R-rated is that it wasn't so much for violent content but for style and that mm-hmm. you could let go of the expectation that this film was going to play for children. So when they let go of that, you're kind of free in a lot of ways and the scenes yeah. can be longer, ideas can be explored more, um, you know, dialogue can be longer and more sophisticated. Yeah. And I just thought that was an interesting way to, you know, you first think like R equals like sex and violence, but it also means a lot of other elements that you're able to do. Uh-huh. I thought the idea of like scenes being longer and dialogue being extended was uh, was interesting. Right. You don't have to play to the, the you know, teenager audience as much and make it sort of popcorn heavy. Uh, yeah, and it's it's a budget of one last mention. Uh, it's a budget of only a hundred million dollars. So for an X Men or comic book movie, that's that's really small. But maybe this proves to other other storylines in the comic book universe that this can be done and do more of a, a personal story about one one superhero. I hope I hope we see more of these types of movies because oh, yeah. it really brings a new perspective on you know into the comic book universe which is which is great yeah so i also recently saw uh kong skull island uh just this past tuesday i I went to see it it opened last last friday uh it's actually the number one movie in the box office uh made 61 million uh, in the u.s 85 million globally uh so 146 million globally i guess uh so (laughs) yeah it was this is more of this summer blockbuster than than Logan was. It's more of the I described it as a popcorn jam fest. <laughs> Apple named it. Um, it's actually a really yeah. interesting collection of actors, which kind of drew me to the movie. Um, you know, Samuel L. Jackson is the main you know headline name, I guess. But um, Tom Hiddleston, uh, Brie Larson, who just came off a Best Actress award last year for Room. Uh, so sort of a interesting choice after that, and then uh, other other John Goodman, John Goodman, yeah, John C. Riley, who's, who's great yeah. in it, yeah, <laughs> yeah, brings a lot of humor to the story. Um, so I just wanted to touch on this as sort of a blockbuster release at the end of March. You know, it has a, a big budget, uh, sort marketed of marketed like a blockbuster. You know, we'd yeah. seen trailers like six months prior. It was being kind of set up as like this is an event, like it, it was being framed as like this is the beginning of the summer, but we're in March, you know. <laughs> right. Well, and I don't want to, I don't want to give off the the wrong uh, perception here that I that I hated it. I actually enjoyed the movie. It's, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's worth seeing in the theater, but it's a it's a good watch. It's fun. Um, there's some really cool action sequences. A lot of people are comparing it to Apocalypse Now in a way, just because. <laughs> 
uh, which well, not bit. not like cinematically, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, it takes place at the end of the Vietnam War. So naturally, there are those comparisons, and you know, people were saying like the soundtrack, but I actually looked at both soundtracks. There's not one track that is uh, on both, so that's sort of a a farce. Yeah, but, maybe similar genres. Yeah, yeah, but it has a really good soundtrack. Um, and yeah, so end of the Vietnam War type era, you know, before internet and technology and things, and that kind of works to enhance or it, it only it had to sort of be that that way for the story to work and make sense so uh i think that's more of the reason it was set at this time than than anything else but you know there are helicopter action sequences which obviously is a uh, you know is gonna bring the comparisons to apocalypse now but anyway um i i enjoyed it it's worth seeing um if you like king kong that that lore that mythology it's it's fun Coming after the Peter Jackson King Kong, which was not hated. Oh yeah, I never even saw that. I I, I liked it. Um, it's this one is a yeah. little less campy. I would say it's a little more violent. Um, that was like three hours long too. The the first or the Peter Jackson. I mean, he only makes like three hour movies, I guess. But yeah, yeah. I remember I've seen like parts and visually it was like stunning. Right. Um, but pretty pretty forgetful. I think feel like people aren't really talking about that these days. <laughs> right. Peter Jackson Kong. Well, so, yeah, it's interesting, what is the sort of state of the the movie release schedule? Yeah, it's totally being jumbled right now. I mean, I was going to say, just to take take it back to the origins of the summer blockbuster season, so it was first established with Jaws in 1975, followed by Star Wars A New Hope in 1977, and kind of just the massive success and massive quality uh, of those two films really just established that... Uh, the summer is the time for big budget blockbusters and event like movies. And it had been that way throughout the eighties through the nineties through the aughts. And then I want to say like over the last 10 years or so that the summer movie season has gotten pushed up more and more. I mean, you know, we were growing up, like I feel like it was June or like Memorial day at the earliest was kind of when blockbuster movies would, would uh, hit theaters. Right. And then it just started creeping up more and more. I noticed like in early May and then like in April when, uh, Captain America Winter Soldier came out a couple Uh years ago. That was in April. And I remember thinking like, man, this is just getting closer and closer to the new year. And now it's March with like, you know, Logan and Kong and, you know, even last year, uh, Deadpool out in February. Right. Um, Yeah, it's really interesting to see this this very noticeable shift. And, um, you know, kind of the main point I wanted to make was I think studios are realizing like, What's good is is good. Like if if you make a quality movie, there will be an audience for it regardless of what time it comes out. I mean, yes, there are, you know, kids are out of school in the summer, they're more likely to beg their parents to go see a new blockbuster that's PG-13, but I think quality is what matters more than anything and I think that's influenced by the television industry like mm-hmm. where places like Netflix and Amazon, they'll basically give reputable creators a large amount of money with little restraints and just tell them to go make something that you love. And we know it's going to be really good because of how talented you are. And they right. do. And it's high quality and people love watching it and there spreads words of mouth and they're really successful. So that's kind of like my main takeaway of like this shift. Uh, yeah. What would you have in mind? Well, yeah, I think the same thing. Like you said, Jaws created the summer blockbuster and, and I think maybe studios sort of fell into that, that rhythm and for years just sort of, assumed that that was the right time to release these big blockbuster type movies um but really like you said it doesn't matter because everything you know there's so many streaming options uh 
so many more. I think a big factor also is uh, the fact that at home viewing is so much better than it used to be. And people have these curved HD 3d, (laughs) you know, TVs with sound comfortable to be at home. Yeah. And you can watch it on a blue. Everything is like convenient. You got to give people a good reason to get in their car or their subway, you know, and get to a theater, pay the extra money, pay for concessions, be in a public place. Um, Well, and you can argue that uh, watching it on a Blu-ray is actually, you know, a better visual experience. You get a, a, you know, a, a more crisp oh, yeah. image, but, you know, in the comfort of your own home and your couch. But, you know, theaters are obviously trying to play, you know, play back against this, trying to shift into this new model of the leather seats that recline and, you know, more drinks and bars available in theaters and better food. Like even big companies like AMC have sort of uh, revamped their food uh, industry. And you've noticed over the past few yeah, years. Yeah, you can get alcohol. Yeah, and just, yeah, just making it. They need to do it to compete, right? Yeah. And it's, it only benefits the consumer like right. this, right? It's, uh, so I'm not I'm not upset about it. Um, no. You know, anything to enhance that experience, like yeah. all the elements you mentioned. Well, and also like I got to thinking about when I see movies. This, this all got me thinking about maybe what is the trend? When do I see the most movies? And um, so I did a lot of uh, a little bit of work on this, uh, some research back into my, my history of movie, uh, movie going, let's say. Um, So I've been collecting, this is real nerdy, and I'm going to do this quickly. Uh, I've been collecting all my ticket stubs uh, for every movie. I did not know that. I commend you. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty much every movie. I think I'm missing a few that maybe, you know, someone else bought me the ticket and I didn't get it. But uh, every movie since 2012. So I I went back and compiled an Excel spreadsheet of all of my movies (laughs) from 2012 to 2016. So that's five years. And I found that I had been to the theater 103 times. uh, So over 60 months. So that's 20.6 movies a year. 1.7 1.7 movies a month on average, 1.71. And so six, so I broke the year down into two halves. So six months each, uh, I broke it into October through March, which is, uh, sort of the, uh, fall and winter period of the year. And then April through September, which would be the spring and summer months. And just to find a trend, like, is there is there a trend of when I go see movies? Is summer blockbuster <laughs> and I found really nothing. a thing? No, I found something. Um, I <laughs> yeah, yeah. went to 68 movies between October and March and 35 between April and September, which is quote unquote spring, summer. Uh, so that's 66. Yeah, 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 66%. It's like double. Yeah, almost two thirds or exactly two thirds pretty much uh, of my movies are between october and march in the theater so that i mean i am maybe not the the best person to judge the summer blockbuster yeah sort of uh you know success because i see a lot of the you know uh critically acclaimed oscar type movies i would say but um i thought it was interesting i mean two-thirds is pretty staggering statistic and i found it to be pretty interesting yeah you have the stats to back it up yeah that's a i have not done a uh an analysis quite at that level but um good for you i imagine yeah right i imagine it it would be probably some i think there's an emphasis on i I probably see most movies in theaters in that like 
uh, early winter, late fall stage. And uh-huh. I always love like a great blockbuster in the summer, the experience of going right. to the theater and everything. But um, yeah, I would say I, I lean more towards that. And you know, one idea I wanted to float at you that I, I thought of the other night randomly is what if I could see this happening? I could also just see it never happening for a variety of practical reasons. But the surprise release in a movie theater. Ooh. So you know how there's like the surprise album drops all the time and Netflix right. will kind of release shows with very little promotion leading up to it, kind of like Stranger Things. What if like, you know, you knew a movie was being made, you didn't know, but they didn't like set a release. They would have to change the entire like marketing apparatus and yeah. everything you kind of like that goes into commit. But it, it could be like super effective. Yeah. Like, what if you just hear like one night like, oh, so, you know, X, Y, and Z is now in theaters now and like maybe only for i don't know what if they like timed it it's only there for two weeks to create like an event like people would it could easily backfire it would have to be with the right movie right has the right stars and director and like attached to it. you couldn't just do it with something that no one knew anything about already but i feel like no, i don't know i think it, that's a i feel like it's been pitched in like hollywood you know boardrooms and stuff and it uh-huh. would be it would be really uh, cool to see that happen, and it, it could totally backfire, in which case they'd never do it again. Or it could create, you know, this whole new reason for people to get out of their their homes and, and going to the theater. Totally, that's a really interesting idea. I hadn't really ever uh, conceptualized that, and it it would sort of play off of the the prejudgment and like the the Rotten Tomatoes bias, uh, you know, world that we're living, biased world that we're living in. Uh, where, yeah, like no critics you know, have reviewed, like just flip yeah. the entire thing. Yeah, it would be... Everybody has these preconceived notions about what the movie is going to be before they even go in. And it's just... and No trailer? My, what if there are like yeah. no trailers? Which is like, this is in theaters, like we're not saying anything about it. What if we knew like, somehow we knew it's a like, it's of high quality, but we weren't able to see any trailers or any... Love like, it you know you had to go to the theater like that would just be a pretty visceral experience and uh, something that uh us and our listeners can marinate on in between our next episode (laughs) yeah i'm that type of person that like consciously avoids trailers because i don't want the movies to be spoiled for me that's yeah i i can't do that you're a better man than me (laughs) (laughs) yeah my stepdad actually a few years ago uh or maybe like 10 years ago created this this system of rating uh that he he gives it a negative one or like negative two or a one or a two or a zero based on is was it one like it was a little bit better than my preconceived anticipated oh, yeah. reaction based on all of the <laughs> stuff I've heard about it. So it, it's already like you can't rate a movie naturally. It's all it's all like a yeah. was it better than I expected or worse than I expected. Yeah. What's funny about that scale is you could be like. Oh, what'd you think of the movie? Like, I gave it a one, and I loved it. You know, like, like <laughs> right, a one. That's it's a little yeah. better than I but thought. But it, it might makes be. sense. Yeah. But it makes sense in that context, right? Of like, you start at zero, and yeah, that that that's cool. Um, yeah. So uh, that's it for this episode of Must Go Faster. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, if you like what you heard, please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. Our website is mustgofasterpod.com, where you can get all our social links. And we'll be back soon with another new episode. Yeah, and uh, thanks again for listening, everyone. And in the words of Hugh Jackman from the original X-Men, what's a magneto? What's a magneto? <laughs>